ladies and gentlemen. Here, preaching creation, damnation, and salvation, and to raise donations for his nation's foundation. Give him your concentration, admiration, and adulation. It's the Haitian sensation, Rico Leone. Thank you so much, Chris. <laughs> this has to be one of the best uh, introductions ever <laughs> to me uh, coming up and sharing with you, uh, the Clyde Church family. It's uh, definitely a blessing, and and I uh, take it as a privilege to have that chance and and to to share. Um, I bring greetings uh, from uh, my wife who couldn't make it today. Uh, she unfortunately had to uh, work this weekend and. And so she had to stay behind while I came up uh, to Clyde. She, she's really, really jealous. And, and I tell her, don't worry, I will, uh, I'll have fun on your behalf. <laughs> that didn't help the cause at all. So um, uh, she, she wants to let you guys know that she loves you and you guys are in her prayers. And, and she looks forward uh, in the near future to come up here and, and spend some time with you guys uh, because she still remembers uh, many of you came down to Haiti and, and to share your heart and and your gifts, your energy, your sweats um, with us uh, down in Haiti. And that means so much to her. The, uh, today is actually Palm Sunday. It is uh, uh, the, the weekend where Jesus himself was uh, um, riding his little colt, uh, his little donkey, into Jerusalem. Uh, and one thing that I, I like to remember is the excitement uh, the crowd uh, had. They were rejoicing and celebrating and rejoicing and uh, with palm branches and clothes on the ground and, and him walking triumphantly um, into Jerusalem. It was just a great thing, uh, the, the excitement that was going on there. But, you know, I, 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 it, it always comes to my mind as I uh, focus on the Palm Sunday section is because right after Jesus walked triumphantly into Jerusalem, it didn't say Jesus was so overly excited. Uh, the people were excited him coming in, but Jesus was weeping <laughs> over Jerusalem. He looked and just like, oh, only if they knew. Uh, for some reason, there was, there was an opposition um, of thought. There's something that was happening that was completely different between what uh, was happening from Jesus' emotional out and the people... Uh, welcoming and excited about Jesus. So this morning, I will uh, take the liberty to talk about um, opposition. Uh, and the opposition will come through the title of uh, Truth and Lies, uh, the opposite of what tends to happen. The truth and the lies that oftentimes um, um, surround and wraps all around us. Uh, it's been deeply on my heart over uh, uh, this year and the last few months when I go to a different place and I share with the people of how the schemes of the enemies and the, the lies that he often uses to destroy us, uh, uh, to knock us down. And um, it, it was just like the opposition of what was happening. The people were celebrating, yet Jesus was weeping. It was an opposite uh, effect situation happening on that day. So today we'll take the liberty to do uh, just that. I, 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 maybe I should start by asking you uh, a question. Have you ever been lied to? 
I'm pretty sure you would say, oh, yes. <laughs> and I'm, I'm wondering what was your reaction when you were lied to and when you found out it was a lie. Uh, that probably was not a good feeling. Uh, you just feel like, my goodness, you are lying right to my face, as you often say it. Um, I can't believe you keep on at it. Why are you? And it just, it's a really frustrating and irritating thing. There's, there's silly lies and there's truth lies. I mean, real lies. There's white lies and there's big old um, red lies or black lies. And they give all different shape and colors to lies. I don't know why. Uh, I guess there's lies that are not so bad. They call them little white lies. And lies that are really tragic. That's a big old bold black lies. I mean, just like, why did it color code them? Only God knows. But anyway, just the lies can be really, really, really frustrating. Uh, Maybe I should just uh, share some uh, different kind of ideas with you. Um, In Haiti, we use some different kind of lies. Uh, uh, Well, at least some some of the people who give them don't even question them. Uh, They often say when you're a kid, do not walk backward um, as a kid. That's one thing they really emphasize on. A kid should not walk backwards. And uh, they say, the reason is, if you walk backward, your mother will die. And now, can you imagine that as a little kid to, be, to, hear, to hear such a thing? Well, one thing, it keeps you from falling down, right? Um, so as a little kid, I did not want to walk backwards because I did not want my mother to die. Um, come to be, she passed away anyway. Uh, but I didn't walk backwards. Uh, but the, the, the other thing they say, they often say, you should not walk one shoe on and one shoe off. Because if you do, then your dad will die. So the shoe one is for the dad, the backwards one is for the mom. Same thing, I chose not to walk one shoe on, one shoe off. My dad is still around. He's in his 80s. So um, anyway, so that's, uh, that's a good one, I guess. Uh, they, uh, there's a lot others. There's one that really played an impact on me. And I try to warn all the my friends, uh, my guy friends. Uh, they say, if your wife is pregnant, be careful. Don't do not let her cross over you from one side to the other, uh, because if she does, uh, then when she's in labor, you as the men will experience every bit of that labor when she's giving birth to that kid. So with that, um, I don't believe in it whatsoever. I mean, that's just me. I don't believe. However, when my wife was pregnant the first time, I uh, decided to sleep along the wall and let her sleep on the front side. Not because I believe in it, but by measure of precaution, just in case, (laughs) just in case. I mean, you never know these things, right? I mean, so I made sure that I was not crossed over at any time during the pregnancy. And I can tell you, it worked so far. I didn't feel anything. So, so these are the things. And, and Haitians truly believe this. I mean, they will not let people cross over them. Uh, they don't want to feel this kind of labor pain. Um, I guess that's not true love. <laughs> if it's true love, you should experience the whole thing, right? So uh, um, in Canada, I, I guess like we have some of them too, right? Uh, like uh, black cats, don't let them cross the road in front of you. For some reason, I don't know what the reason is, but it grows and many people just believe it. My wife often tells me here in Canada, you must not walk under a ladder. I don't know why. Well, the ladder might fall on you. That might be my explanation, but there's other explanations for such a thing. Don't hold an umbrella inside a house. I don't know why. Um, There's such a thing about it. Uh, There's a... 
uh, uh, I remember when as a kid, they often uh, told me, hey, Rico, eat your carrots because it's good for your... Oh, you know it too, right? <laughs> well, then you know there's no part of uh, research that really support this claim. It's basically a total makeup thing for whatever the reason is. There's no carrots that improves your vision whatsoever. <laughs> I wear glasses, you wear glasses, I'm sure you ate tons of carrots. It does not improve your vision, not one bit. Not that it's bad for your eyes, but trust me, it's... However, uh, I started researching, like, well, where, where did they come up with that? During the Second World War, uh, for some reason, the British developed this uh, radar system, and they could detect uh, their enemies from far away through radar or uh, weapons or whatever it was, uh, missiles coming and, and uh, um, night vision thing through goggles and see the enemies coming through. And so the enemy couldn't understand what is going on. How come these guys spot us no matter how much we hide? And uh, so they developed this myth that they fed their soldiers a lot of carrots. And then the word went out and people started believing it. And the writer of uh, the cartoon character of Bugs Bunny heard of it and started writing about it. Feeding uh, the carrots actually was what improved the vision. And so we all believed it. And we don't even question it, really. I mean, who cares? When I go home, I'm still going to tell my kids, eat your carrots because it's good for your eyes. It improves your vision. So eat your carrots. But never will I ever even challenge the thought, just like, okay, let me research to see if it's truth or not. It doesn't really matter. However, I realized that in my upbringing, I have eaten so many more carrots because I believe this to be true without checking or challenging it. So I realized that a lot of us live that way, right? So many things happen that we never challenge, whether it's truth or bad or lies, and we just live that way. Another one that my parents often told me is just like, hey, Rico, after you just ate, do not go swimming because you will develop cramps or whatever. You'll drown. It's a lie. <laughs> There's nothing that supports such a thing. Search it everywhere. It does not support the claim. However, we believe it. We all believe it. We tell our kids that. And I'm pretty sure even when this summer, when our kids are in the, the swimming pool or whatever, they finish eat, you're still going to hold them to it. Hey, no, you can't go swimming right now because you just ate. You're still going to do it, though now you know it's a lie. Why? Because we grew up with it, and it plays so much in our psyche and the way we know. Um, we're not going to change the idea of what we do with it, despite of what we know about it. It's still going to be what it is. Um, politicians lie like crazy. I mean, I don't, don't even want to go there, of how they just lie, and it becomes a normal phenomenon. It's a normal fact. I want to win. I want you to lose. So therefore, I'm going to spread so much lies that people will not even be able to differentiate what is lie and what is truth. Because I'm just going to put so much out there. By the time you're so busy searching that one, there'll be 10,000 more that goes in your ears. At the end of the day, you'll have to just believe what I tell you. I mean, that's, that's the scheme and game of politicians, unfortunately, it seems, nowadays. It's just brutal. Um... But one, one thing that I get from, from these illustrations is how much power these lies have to curve people's understanding and change our lives and change our focus and change the direction and pattern of where we go in life. It, it has the total power to just completely change a future, depending on what it is that you believe. Because of my lies of carrots, it forces me to eat a lot more, many more carrots than I would have ever eaten in my life. I hated carrots when I was a kid, but I ate it because I knew 
it was good for my eyes. I mean, it's just the reality. It, it has that power to reorientate what you do in life. I mean, it's a powerful thing. But, you know, I, as I start thinking about it, here's, here's what, I, what if these lies were a bit more serious? Um, what if the lies from the moment we were really, really young growing up, we always heard in our ears that you will never be good enough? What if these are the things that we heard uh, from a very young little person? You heard, you are ugly. You don't have the acceptable body shape for society. What if you've always heard as you grew up, uh, you've made too many mistakes? What if you've always heard things will never change? God doesn't really care about you. No one cares about you. You might as well give up. You'll never be able to stop or you can stop whenever you want. So just keep going. No one will ever find out. You do not have what it takes. What if as we grew up, these are the kind of things that we heard very subtly that we never even really take the time to go challenge these thoughts or go even research whether or not it's true. And then we start growing and these ideas penetrate inside our mind and then they start shaping your life. I wonder what life looks like with all these things all throughout the years that goes unchecked and unchallenged. You know, guys, what we believe doesn't have to be true to have power of truth over our lives. As long as we believe them, they become true to the way we live. Because we believe them without thinking of them. That's the trouble of these lies. What we believe have the power to shape our attitudes, what we believe have the power to govern our emotions, what we believe actually determine our behaviors and what we believe actually regulate our relationships. It ultimately decides our futures, our beliefs. And this is the reason the enemy is so keen of not trying to destroy us in one day, but instead sowing tiny little seeds from the beginning on as we grow because they go unchecked and they have the power to completely transform who it is that God had planned for us to become. It is not by accident that a, a young person grows up and become a teenager and start questioning their own lives, what they look like, what they are. Why? Because that thought has been penetrating all throughout life. And then we start caring about what other people say more so than what God actually say about who we ought to be. John 8, 44, a verse which is extremely powerful. It says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies at the devil, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Now that is a stinging description of where all the lies come from. The white one, the black one, the huge bold one, or the one that truly doesn't matter. Because his native language as he speaks is basically gushing out lies. 
And as I said, if, if we now fall to the trap of believing these lies, they have the power to curve our life, our future, and our destination of where it leads us in life. Oftentimes we think of voodoo, we think of uh, uh, the enemy, how it acts in Africa and in many different places that we hear uh, through materialistic approach and you name it. But you know, the, dev- uh, the Bible doesn't give us all this crazy description about the enemy. The Bible says, I want you to realize when the enemy is at work. I'll give you three proof. That's what the Bible says. The enemy is there to do three things. Whenever you see these three things being manifested, the enemy is there. The enemy is there to steal, to kill, to destroy. It will destroy your self-image. It will destroy your life. It will kill you. It will uh, kill your relationships. It will, anytime you see these things start falling apart, the enemy is active and well in acting. It doesn't have to take any shape, form, or anything. And so that always keeps me alert. When I see malnutrition in Haiti, huh, I know the enemy is at work. However, the, the, the people in Haiti is looking to where is the voodoo is acting. But to me, I'm seeing just like, okay, while they're looking for the voodoo who's flying on a broom somewhere, I'm looking at the death that is being caused by the people's believing something while he's actually killing and destroying in a different fashion. The enemy has this power to uh, create a mirage, to masquerade, to change uh, the appearance of what exactly is happening. That we end up blaming everything except for the true matter of what's taking place. Lies, lies, lies. So my approach and my idea would be, so in order for him to succeed, he has to get us to uh, look the other way. To lock us into a lie. And the lie will ultimately defeat us. That's really dangerous. I'm pretty sure I've, I've always shared wherever I go, and I've shared with you guys my grade one experience, um, or maybe grade one experiences. I spent three years in grade one. Now, that's a professional grade one guy. I mean, three years. I know grade one more than anybody in here, I'm pretty sure. I flunked my first year, and then I repeated the second year again, so I was there for three whole years. My goodness, I loved grade one so much. I didn't want to leave there. I guess the teacher was so good. They should have changed the teacher, not the student. Uh, Anyway, so now when I look back on my report cards, I still have them. I still have my grade one report cards uh, for the three years that I was there. And uh, one thing that I see is just like in my class, there were about 80 students, okay? 80 grade one students. And now I have kids of my own. My daughter's five. She'll be in grade one next year. And I'm thinking like, so I must have been around six-ish when I was in grade one for first time. There were... 80-some um, six-year-old in a class. I mean, you see what my kids are like, right? Can you imagine 80 of them like that? One teacher sitting on a chair up front behind a desk. I mean, that's how the, the Haitian um, um, system seemed to act. One teacher sit up front on a desk, and 80 six-year-olds, hyper as anything. I don't know how they did it, but I can tell right now they must have not a good, done a good job because I wasn't so bad they didn't do a good job. That's my philosophy, right? So, I, I mean... Um, But here's what they do. As you flunk your first year, the teacher now changes your name, all the flunkers. The following year, your name becomes Papa Class, the Papa of the class. You've been there before. All the new ones are the children, but you who flunk, you're the Papa of the class. 
But there's a second thing the teacher chooses to do. Um, I remember for myself, as we come in as uh, uh, the following year, the teacher says, oh, all the guys who flunked who've been there before, you sit in the back of the class, so leave the front rows for the new fresh young students coming in. Yes, praise God. This is the playing section in the back where there's no supervision, and they sent me to the play court now. It was the best year of my life, my second year in grade one. We played and had fun. It was awesome. But little did I know the result would also bring me flunking one against again. So now as I flunk again, um, now all the students move up to the second grade, and I'm back again on first grade. Now the teacher, once again now, changed my name to the grandpapa class, the grandpa of the class. And now, yes, grandpa, take your seat in the back row, and all the fresh ones start up front. But then the teacher decided to go one more step. This time, she also changed my name in the class, and she called me Cretin. Cretin just means the dumb one. And it was quite interesting now because Cretin became my name. The teacher would say, Cretin, stand up to spell. And guess who would pop up and stand up? I would just sit down and stand up. I responded to the word Cretin. And it became my identity. I'd be playing out in the courtyard with the kids. Hey, Cretin, you're it. Okay, you're it. And I'm running around. The Cretin, you're it. I'm running around. Who's Cretin? I am. I'm the dumb one. And I started believing and accepting this is who I am. My name has now been changed, unchecked, and unquestioned. Little by little, I started being careless now. I don't care about school. It doesn't matter. I am dumb. That's who I am. As perhaps by then, a seven and a half or eight-year-old kid, I don't care. I am creating. I'm dumb. That's my identity. And then um, one of the ladies uh, who actually was a chaperone at my, at my house started learning from the other boys that my name was Cretin. And she got upset about it. And she said, no, 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 you're not Cretin. You're a child of God. You, you, you carry the identity of God. How can they call you Cretin? This is not who you are. So she started praying with me and keeping me after hours, studying and studying and studying. And she started doing something, changing what it is that I actually was believing about myself. And so uh, I remember my third year in grade one, I, I started being the first in the class, the highest grade in the entire class. And, and it was grabbing. That's easy to do. You've been there three years. So uh, I had the highest grade in the class. And then I went to grade two. The trend continued on with me. I had the highest grade in grade two, grade three, grade four, grade five, all the way now to high school. And I become the valedictorian in my high school class, graduating the top notch in the class. And everybody's wondering, how could that happen? And the, the only way it happened is because um, Ludalia started sitting down and chatting with me and just like, this is who your true identity is. You're not the dumb one that the teacher called you. My parents actually uh, liked to call me lazy when I was a kid. Uh, and, and now I realize, like, maybe I was lazy. I don't know. But anyway, they would call me lazy, lazy all the time. Um, and, and, of course, it was a house of eight boys. Lots of competition, right, in our house. Some work more than others. I kind of like to sleep more than the others did. Maybe that made me lazy. But anyway, when they worked, I tried to hide. Maybe that's the description of laziness. I don't know. But anyway, they would call me lazy. And, um, and, and every time they called me lazy, I'd jump and just go work just to pretend. I wasn't lazy. I don't think I was lazy. I was just tired. I mean, what's wrong with being tired? You get tired too. Are you lazy? No. So anyway, so I, I was just tired, right? And, but my parents would call me lazy all the time. And there's one day they said, oh my goodness, Rico, why can't you be like your brother? 
didn't bother me. It didn't affect me one bit. And I realized as I grew up, even when I came to college and so on and so forth, I believed that I was lazy. I believe that's who I am. And I never questioned it. I am lazy. And I remember on my third year of, uh, of college, I started interning at Oak Park Church with uh, Steve McMillan. And then Steve asked me one question, like, Rico, what is one thing that you would change about you if you could? I said, oh, you know, I really wish I could just change this laziness about me. I'm lazy. Steve said, you what? I said, I'm lazy, Steve. What do you mean you're lazy? Because what, what Steve sees, I'm the type of guy who's more like a workaholic. I always want to be doing something. And he said, how can you be lazy? Your brain is going on 90 mile an hour. You seem to be touching everything in the church. You want to do worship leading. You want to be preaching. You're with the youth. You're with the young adults. You're leading all this crazy. And you call yourself lazy at the same time. I said, I am lazy. I truly believe I am. Then he started asking deep questions. Why do you say you're lazy? I said, just because I am. I never could think of why. I just know I am. Why everything that I short come on, I would blame it on laziness. I fell short because I'm lazy. And so I was becoming a workaholic trying to keep up just so that I wouldn't be lazy. Keeping up with my brothers because I was lazy. So Steve actually referred me to a life coach. I said, you need a life coach to talk this out. Because you're burning yourself out. And then as we started talking and talking and talking and talking, as we started talking, we start drilling back to where the origination of that laziness came from. And it drilled back to my parents, keep calling me lazy. And every time they said lazy, that was the fuel and motivation to pump me up and run and go do something. So now every time the thought of laziness hit me, I would run. And then that's when that lie started being uprooted. That I was chasing my tail as a dog because of the thought that I was called something by my own parents who I believe loved me so much. You, you see where I'm going with this? Something so small and subtle went in the brain and then now you, it curves the rest of your life chasing something that you even, don't even know what it is that you're chasing. Then it hits me, I was just like, Rico, don't ever call your children names. Because you might think that you call them names just to motivate them, reverse psychology, and it turns out to fall into their brain as a truth forever. So when I look at my kids, I, I look at them, I said, like, you know what? You are a child of God. You, you, you are, you are um, I'm strong. You are this. I try to build some positive message into them. Because what we say has an impact, sometime eternal. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western world, as we often say. So I read a book about it not too long ago just to understand what is going on. The book is called Travesty in Haiti by an anthropologist, American anthropologist, who went down there to study the, the, the environment and culture and everything. And his name is Timothy Schwartz. And, uh, and Timothy actually went to one of the wealthiest places in Haiti, uh, the 200 families that holds about 90% of the economy, and that happens everywhere we go. So I um, was talking to one of the very reputable doctors there and to the doctor, to doctor's daughter who's nine years old. And started talking to her, and, and uh, she said, Timothy, would you like to see my school project? Yo, sure, I'd like to see your school project. So they went out in the courtyard, and, and the little girl was actually doing this little experiment, having this fern growing attached to, like, another plant. 
and they call it parasitic plant. That's what they call it, like a parasite plant sucking energy from another plant in order for it to survive and sustain. If you don't remove that parasitic plant or parasite plant, it will actually kill the original plant because it sucks all the energy, it has no roots of its own deep into the soil. So she was actually exemplifying getting a plant, letting it attach, graft it so that it could suck energy. Uh, and, and Timothy said, oh, you did this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she said, Timothy, you know who's the um, parasite of our country? Timothy said, no, no, who? said, the poor people. Timothy said, the poor people? Really? Oh, yeah, they are. What they do, they just suck the energy from us, the rich people. So if we let them, they will suck us dry and kill all of us. So therefore, we have to stay away from them. Timothy said, oh, where did you learn this stuff? You're nine years old. She said, my teacher told us that. And I thought like, wow, my teacher. So now imagine like a young, tiny, nine-year-old, rich, rich kid who will have the businesses in the future or the one who's being pumped in this lie. Those are the parasite guys. Stay away from them. Now, what is the future of this country? The wealth will never be distributed because it will soak into one group. The lies the enemy used have the power to change a generation, change a future. Kyle Eidemann um, has a, a church uh, in the U.S., a really big Christian church. He actually was going through this, uh, this series. He called this series Flip the Script. And, and I really like it because, um, and, and we went through this series in Haiti as well with, with our friends, trying to change the, the idea. And Flip the Script truly meant like uh, when you're watching a movie like the movie Cinderella, you start reading a script, right? You're watching what's happening, this poor girl, and all of a sudden the flip, uh, the script just changed that from poor now she becomes like the, the princess. I mean, it's just you didn't see it coming, but boom, it happens. Um, or where the bad guys become the good guys or the good guys become the bad guys and on and on. And one thing that we start realizing is that when all of us are born, the enemy is there with his own script. And what he does, he serve each one of us here a script and say, read it. And I don't want you to act it. I want you to become the character. And as we grow, here's what's happening, folks. We become the character of the script the enemy hands us. And the script is basically all these lies about ourselves. And I think what the Bible wants us this morning is to change the way we view ourselves. Change our script. This is what Jesus says. If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The enemy was lying. But Jesus comes to tell us the truth. And here's the opposite about us. And this morning, I want to encourage you to say, hey, no matter what they have told you in the past, no matter what you've heard about yourself, but this is who you truly are. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, you are a new creation. You are no longer the old person that they said you were, but this is truly your identity. 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. You are amazing and different. This is who you truly are. All the these lies they have said about you, Ephesians 2.10 this morning says, no, you are God himself workmanship. You are created in Jesus' own image um, uh, to do good works. This is who you are. You are, according to Peter 1, 8, 1, he says, there is no more condemnation. You are no longer, longer condemned, no matter what people said about you, but this is who you truly are. God has given you power to become God's own son. Uh, uh, he said that we might be made righteous. Today you are a righteous 
righteous person. And this is who you truly are. And according to 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about what people say. You should look like, be like, act like. He says, you are his temple. So which means like you are something glorious and wonderful. He says, listen, God is divine, but you are branches. This is how wonderful you are. You're no longer parasites trying to suck energy from other things. You are sucking energy from him, the Father. I mean, this is who you truly are, according to 1 John 4 and 4. He says, you are God's little children. Now, you don't belong to all the others anymore. He said, greater is he that lives in you. I mean, this is who you truly are, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 27. You are the body of Christ. I mean, goodness, we are members of, 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 uh, uh, of this God, um, and you are his friends. I, I mean, these, this is enough to pump me up with energy to let me start shouting that I am no longer the dumb one. I am no longer a parasite. I am no longer uh, this lazy guy. I no longer have to be like my brother, be like you, be like anybody else. I just am to be Rico, the child of the most high God. How freeing is that? And I think if we start transforming the way we view ourselves and what we've been told, that alone has the power to make us truly the new creation that he has intended for us to be. Genesis 3.1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than all the other wild animals in the garden. And then said to the woman, Did God really say you must not. And, and this interesting thing, how the enemy comes to lie to us. He doesn't lie outright, but anyway, gives a lie that sounds so much like truth that you cannot differentiate whether it's a lie or not. Did God really say? And forces us to start questioning. And, and the moment now we start questioning, it comes in and fills in the blanks. Does God truly love you? Then if he does, why are you going through? Did God really? But if he is, why, why, why? And all these why questions, because we're now questioning God himself, God's holiness. Now he fills in the gap with the lies. It's easy to do that. And I find oftentimes we fall into that same category in, of the wondering the things that we once believed was true. I wonder if I made a mistake by marrying this person. I wonder if that should have been my, my future. Maybe my high school sweetheart should have been the one. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And before long, as we are my should, or I wonder, guess what start happening? That high school sweetheart, wherever she is on the side of the earth, start finding their way back onto social media, right into our face. Why? Because now we start questioning everything. I wonder if I, I wonder if I, I wonder if I, before we know it, people start drifting. Because the craftiness is only to allow us to start doubting. Done. I wonder if they will do what they say I w they will do with the money I give. Therefore, I choose to hold my money and control it because I don't believe it. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. So my conclusion would be, let us be careful with the comparison that we often make. Because I think these are the, the, the tools the enemy uses to come and destroy us. Remember the story of Leah and, Ra and Rachel in the Old Testament? Leah could never find true happiness. Why? Because she was not as pretty as Rachel. She was comparing herself all the time. And Rachel, her on the other side, could not have children like Leah did. So therefore, she was never happy too. So nobody's happy because everybody's comparing themselves with one another. I'm not good as she is. Well, I'm not good as she is. 
everybody's falling. Remember the story of Sarah and Haggard? Well, Sarah was the wife of Abraham, and Hagar was the servant, and uh, Hagar could have kids, and Sarah could not, and Sarah becomes angry at Hagar, and the moment that Hagar, uh, um, Sarah started have, um, was able to have kid, now Sarah didn't like Hagar, and Hagar now wanted the love of Abraham, could not, and now both of them are just like angry with one another, brings nothing but anger. And I find, how did the enemy lie to us today? Well, I look at social media, which I use for my work and great things and all, but social media oftentimes creates this kind of comparison that we use for ourselves. You notice, like, on Facebook, everybody's always happy. I just, like, sometimes I look at it, and I'm going through the worst day in, in my life or in the week, and I check Facebook, everybody, all my friends are having the best day in their life. Just like, why are they always happy? I'm not. What's going on here? I want to just be happy as they are too. Um, but for some reason, I, I realize like <laughs> Facebook is not telling us the full truth. And Kyle calls uh, Facebook, he says if he had the power to change the name of Facebook, he would call it the facade book because it's not real. It's just only the appearance of happiness. It's not real. And so I would say the same thing. Let us not allow ourselves being compared with all these crazy things. It's not real. I like to show pictures of my family because I often look at my life as a script which is flipped. From this poor boy growing up in an orphanage, my dad actually um, is 82 this year. He'll be 83 years old. My dad's youngest child is younger than my youngest kid. Now go <laughs> take that to the bank. Now can you imagine that part of it, right? I mean, just like uh, my, my dad has uh, um, eight kids. I think the youngest, I mean, the oldest one is younger than 10. I mean, that's his last batch of eight. Um, uh, and there's 17 of us that I do know of as brothers and sisters, uh, 17 that I do know of, but there's so many of them that I have no idea their names. You'd think I'm just like Bob Marley. No, I'm not related to Bob Marley or something. Uh, it's just like, my, but this is the roots of where I came from. When I look into my DNA or to what the script the enemy would want me to believe, that should be the future that I should follow as well. Since he couldn't take care of us, too many of us, and now given me to an orphanage, whereas the poor boy with no, who knows what the future is going to look like. But this is how Christ flipped my script. And now from this poor boy who had no future is now the same poor boy who actually now is helping other kids in the orphanages. Creating a future for them. My script is now flipped. I wonder... What script have you been reading? And I wonder, is it time this morning that your script be flipped? What have you believed about yourself that now needs to be believed no more? Shall we pray? Father, so many of us I know for a fact and certain have been reading this script from way back in the beginning that we believed. It is a completely opposite one than the one you want us to believe about ourselves. This morning, Father, I'm praying for freedom to liberate my brothers and sisters that we truly believe the true script that you want us to be and read. That we are more than conqueror because you, are, you live in us and you are greater than the one that roams around. Bless this church, Father. May we believe that we truly are the city sitting on the hill. That, Father, so many 
or dying all around us, that, Father, what they truly need to live is to come and taste and see that you are good. In your holy name, God, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Rico. Two days in a row. Thank you very much uh, for your words of power. Um, and I thank you uh, for breaking whatever lies we've been told about ourselves and uh, giving us a lot to chew on about our identity, our true identity in him. And I'm thankful for the identity of you as a church body. Uh, a major part of your identity is your generosity and your graciousness and uh, your humility. And uh, that always impacts me. Rico, one major part of your identity is uh, your ability to unite people under a vision and your leadership and um, to speak powerful truth in a powerful way. And uh, we're very blessed to have had you come and do that this morning. Um, yeah. Dennis is in a very clappy mood today. It's nice. No. No. Um, I know we just prayed, but Rico, I'm going to invite you to come up again and I'll pray for your continued work uh, as leadership in the work that's being done in Haiti. And uh, please feel free to, to catch Rico. And uh, on our behalf, on all of our behalf, please say hi to Mandy. We miss her. All right, let's pray. God, you are good and the work that you do is good. And uh, <laughs> your children are good. Uh, including Rico and his family, and we thank you for the hard work that they do uh, for you and for the, the, the team and the group of leaders that they've uh, established to serve the people in Haiti. Father, again, it is a huge blessing for us to be involved in that. And I thank you for Rico's vision, ultimately for your vision, and for your will for the good people of Haiti. Um, thank you for how Rico and the people in his team are committed to bringing truth to places where there are lies. And uh, we love you, Father, and we, we are honored to serve you and to be joined in with the service being done in Haiti. Thank you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.